0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Grad Chat by Ph.D. Balance, where we talk about the topics of grad school beyond academic research, and that might be more difficult to talk about. I'm your host, Neba from Notes by Niba, a full-time multimedia producer and digital strategist. Um, basically, a lot of words to say I'm a multimedia science communicator. Please don't forget to subscribe to Grad Chat on your chosen platform to get notifications about our new episodes, and if you feel like it, maybe leave us a rating or a review. Our topic today is going to be leaving a PhD with a master's and starting a new PhD. So this is a lot of, um, kind of life changes. So I'm very excited to welcome our guest, Brittany Hockey. Um, Brittany uses the pronouns she and they. Um, she was a third-year PhD candidate in material science, and or sorry, she is a third-year PhD candidate in material science and engineering at Penn State University. And prior to this, she got her master's in material science and engineering from Arizona State University, and her BA in physics and studio art at a small liberal arts school called Coe College. Britt, we are so pleased to have you on Grad Chat to chat about your experiences.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. Um, so it sounds like you went through quite a big change with kind of like leaving your PhD and deciding to to start a new one. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about just what that journey was like and kind of like from start to finish and we'll get more into like, I guess, the details and stuff?
1: Of course. So, yes, it was definitely a difficult experience to go through. And for me personally, I think one of the reasons why it was so difficult was because coming from my physics undergrad program, a lot of my professors kind of came in or giving me this idea of that, you really need to find an advisor that you fit with, which I feel like everyone says that it's super important. It's, I would argue it's more important than what the research actually is, but they also always told me that you, the last thing you wanna have happen is to have to switch advisors uh, midway through your research, because a lot of times you're basically starting over and it prolongs your PhD. I think they mostly just came from a place of wanting to make sure that no one went through that, but that idea kind of made it really hard for me to actually come to terms with the fact that things working out and I needed to either switch advisors at the same school or go to a different department or just get a master's and leave altogether. Um, so it definitely took a lot of talking with friends and other people in my area. Actually, the biggest thing that motivated me to actually look into leaving was uh, someone on Twitter who shared that they ended up leaving a toxic lab and was now, they got an NSF GRFP grant and was now thriving, doing research at a completely different school. Wow. that. Uh, i I'm so glad
0: they shared that on Twitter because I feel like uh there's there's not a like community of people who like have to make this choice, so you kind mm. of have to like find that community or like find people who have gone through it to like help give you advice on it um and like you know communities that are online can certainly be like a really great way of figuring that out um yeah, I don't know it's a it's a really tough decision, especially kind of like if you like want to stay in academia and you want to do mm. your research but you know your advisor just like isn't quite the right fit can you walk Mm -hmm. us through like um the timeline of what this is of sort of like when you got into that first program when you started thinking about it and then when you actually made the decision when you left like what did that look like from for like a time perspective
1: Mm -hmm. so I accepted the program in spring of 2017 that was the that I graduated from Co. and so I started the program in the fall of 2017 then and right like right off the bat there were a lot of things I was trying to like fit into the mold that had already kind of been established in the lab which definitely didn't work for me I wish I had had more um, I wish I had advocated for myself more but at that point, I was just I had I'm from the Midwest originally, so I moved almost halfway across the country and was just kind of trying to really fit in. So I was taking four classes a semester for my first year, which I do not recommend anyone do. Uh, usually, <laughs> usually programs recommend you take two classes like at maximum. And that's what most of the other students and other groups did. We had two core classes a semester we were supposed to do. Um So I was really overwhelmed in my classwork. And of course I was doing a different program. So I switched from physics and studio art into material science. So like there's some overlap there, but a lot of the fundamental knowledge about materials chemistry, I didn't have. So I was trying to learn that stuff, learn electron microscopy techniques, which I had never done before. I was working with a brand new material for research so basically all of the, and trying to just get comfortable living in a new place and meeting new people. So I think all of those things kind of compounded and I really struggled my first year um, at ASU in that program. You didn't have to take a qualifying exam if you got like a 3.5 GPA. And I was one minus grade away from that. But like by the time the end of, this, end of the first oh, year rolled around, gosh. I was like so close. It was like, I felt like it was one of those classes where if I had just had a little bit more time to put in the correct, like to put in a little bit more effort, I would have been fine. Um, Yeah,
0: so it sounds like a whole combination of like new topic of research, new city, new culture, new Mm. university. And at the same time, like losing all of those like support structures that you had back home. Um, This is like weirdly resonant with my story, but (laughs) yeah, so when did you kind of like, start thinking about, Mm -hmm. like, you know, having doubts about it and things like that. Mm -hmm.
1: So I think at the, when the end of the first year came around and that summer, I was preparing to give a poster at a conference, which was really exciting. And for a while, I thought that I was like finally kind of fitting in and getting my feet under me. And I had a really great time at the conference and I met a lot of good people. And I thought my poster presentation went really well. But then afterwards, when I came back to campus, I had to start prepping for the uh, qualifying exam. And mm-hmm. the way it happened at ASU is it's basically like a. So just an oral to exam. sorry timeline yeah, so, us real quick mm-hmm.
0: again. This is 2018 now, like spring 2018 or the summer then? of
1: summer of 2018.
0: Okay, summer 2018. So it's been one yep. year since you've moved.
1: Yep. So okay. it had been. This is after I finished my first year with all those classes, and then I had this conference that I was preparing for over the summer. And then I think I presented that poster in August, at the beginning of August, and then the end of August, beginning of September was that uh, qualifying exam. Mm -hmm. So I do not do very well with an exam style where it's basically just oral and they get the professors from all four core classes are basically just allowed to ask you any question at all for their topic. that's just not a good learning style for me. So I, I mean, do... most people, right? Like this this concept of like people can
0: only be smart when we ask them questions to pick apart their research, and we mm-hmm. never ever like compliment them on anything or say like, "Hey, that experiment design was good." Mm-hmm. It's just constantly like steeped in like what is wrong, what have yep. what have you messed up, what do you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a yeah. that's a really good point. Yeah, and it wasn't even based on my research. It was anything in the basic. General area that they taught, right? So, for me not having any basis to study and just trying to like shove all this knowledge in my head didn't uh, work out very well. So, I my PI basically called me into his office and told me that I had barely passed. And due to the lack of performance and just my grades and how I did on that exam, he told me he recommended that I don't get a PhD and I consider getting a master's. So I kind of uh, had the decision wow. forced upon me in wow. a way, but I don't necessarily, I mean, at that point, I didn't really disagree. I don't think staying to fulfill, finish the PhD with him would have worked out. And in fact, I tried to just stay and finish the master's with him. And that didn't work out either, because at that <laughs> point, oh, uh, my anxiety was so bad. I was like really struggling. Even before this, I was really struggling with anxiety and depression uh, but the anxiety got so bad that I I couldn't bring myself to be in the lab, and I didn't want to meet with him in person. And so I told him I was going to write an NSF GRFP to try and get funding to move to a different lab at a different school, which I had already decided at this point. And he was supportive about that, which I appreciate. And he did read over my proposal. Uh, but this then is like after fall that,
0: 2018, like yep. a year and a half after moving. Okay.
1: Yep. So, yeah, it was basically a year and a half ish or between a year and a year and a half that i decided that i needed to leave and do something else or get a masters something it was e- i was either going to transfer or get the masters just depending on how funding worked out mm-hmm. for me but uh so i had tried to email him to work with him to finish my masters with him and try and figure out how to what part of my project i could continue doing and what my goals should be And he didn't respond to any of my emails. And so obviously I should have gone to see him in person, but mentally I could not do that. So I think it was end of November came around and I got an email from him finally, but he's just saying that he's going to pull my funding because I haven't made any progress. So I ended up finding a different lab to work with basically for the last semester of my master's. So you're muted
0: no <laughs> sorry i was just clicking <laughs> over to it how did you end up kind of like you know when he when he told you that he felt like you should get a master's instead of a phd did he present it as kind of like a this is an option or was he presenting it sort of as like this is the path for you does that make sense
1: yeah so he very much made it seem like his more of the exact wording was I don't think you have what it takes to get a PhD. You should consider getting a master's and then deciding what you want to do after that. Wow. That's uh, not quite
0: what you want to hear from the person who's your advisor and supporting you. Um, Right. Instead, like, here are the areas that you need to improve. This is what it needs to take to get there. How can I get you there? Um, Right. Is another way of kind of being like, as an advisor, I recognize this, it might be something to learn. How do Mm -hmm. I support them in getting there rather than just being like, "We can't do it. Mm -hmm. And there,
1: I feel like in the beginning, there was some of that, okay, here are some things for you to work on. But Mm -hmm. he was so busy with so many things and had a tendency to not really Give the younger students who weren't publishing a lot of time. So it would end up, he would give me these suggestions and things to do, but then I would just kind of end up overwhelmed again by myself, like floundering. Uh, And some people in the group I find to be a little bit, I found them to be a little bit helpful and things like that, but I never really felt like I could go to my group members with what was going on because he also made it seem like whether or not this actually happened. I'm not sure, but he did mention that he talked with the other students about my situation. So that was another reason why I didn't want to go into the lab (laughs) or the office where we worked.
0: Yeah. How did you, what did they like react? Did you hear anything from like the other students or like, did any of them come to you?
1: Not really. I don't remember anyone actually asking me from my perspective, what I was going through or what happened. Mm -hmm. I was I, after I ended up switching labs, there was still one student that I would talk to occasionally because she was trying to finish up within the next year or so. Um, and most of what we had talked about was just kind of how we were working on trying to have better mental health and talking about kind of what I did tell her a little bit about my experience with my PI. And she was also kind of telling me about things that she was going through. So that was nice. But none of the other students really bothered to reach out and see how I was doing or ask for my side of the story really. Yeah
0: I think this comes back to kind of like what we were talking about at the start where like you're leaving behind all of the professors and people and Mm -hmm. support that you knew back in the Midwest for a new area and so like you know, it's hard for people to reach out if they don't know what you're going through, or if they don't mm-hmm. have a relationship with you. But it's also hard for you to reach out to people when you don't have like those connections, and you don't have like that kind of support. Especially when, like, as we all know, it's so much harder to reach out when you are going through like a mm-hmm. mental health struggle. And so, as a result, that's why it's important to have these networks in place. But you know, when you're <laughs> moving really far for grad school and thrown into like a new culture, that can be um, much like really really challenging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so at this point it's now like uh, like winter 2018-ish. Um, how did the like kind of
1: journey of like deciding to leave and actually leaving come about? So basically immediately after I got out of the office talking with my PI and he said, I should cons- probably just get the master's and leave. I called one of my friends who has been in physics for a while he has his PhD uh, and we've worked together for a few years now and I called him up and I had I was basically asking him if I should reach out to this other professor that I knew at Penn State which is where I'm at now because I back in 2017 right after I had applied to ASU a couple months after that I saw that he was leaving Corning which is where I met him uh, Corning in industry to start a lab at Penn State. And I always kind of remember that because I met him and got along with him really well and invited him to come to my undergrad at Co to see the school and give a talk. And I was always like, oh man, if I had known that he was gonna leave industry, I would have deferred however long it took to work with him. So, I call up my friend and I'm crying on the phone and I'm like, should I just email him? Like, what if he says no, blah, 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 whatever. What if he doesn't want me? And my friend was like, just email him because worst case scenario, he will say no, but what if he says yes? And I was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> like, of course you're right. So I emailed him and he responded to me. I emailed my, the person I wanted to work for at Penn State. His name is John. I emailed him and was like, hey, I know it's been a while since we've talked. I'm at ASU and things aren't going very well. I saw you started a lab at Penn State and I would really love to come to work for you. And he replied in like five minutes, which is faster than my own PI at the time would respond to me and was like, yeah, I'd love to have you. We just got to find you some funding. So that for a while, I was gonna kind of waiting to see if I could just transfer directly to Penn State if he had money for me right away. But what ended up happening was in he didn't really have anything for me for a while so that's when I decided to do the masters so that way if it was a while before he had money for me I could try and find a job in the meantime but I ended up he ended up getting back to me spring of 2019 I think it was saying that he was pretty sure he was going to get a grant and then we found out for sure he got that grant so it started in January, 2020. So that is when I started here at Penn State. Gotcha. So
0: when you were at um, Arizona State and you kind of chose to decide to leave, at what point did did they say like, you're not gonna have funding? Because it sounds like having a job and like having that financial security was like a concern of yours at this time.
1: Yeah, for sure. I started the, honestly obviously the phd program with all of my funding paid for and i was getting a stipend which is pretty typical for phd students uh, especially in the stem areas less so for master's students so it was basically the end of november when i got the email saying that they weren't going to fund me anymore and i had one class credit i think that i had to do for the masters the version of the masters that i wanted to go for It was a certain number of credits and then because I knew I wasn't going to have enough for a thesis, a full thesis, I decided to just do a project, which is kind of basically just a scaled back thesis because basically whatever I was going to have to present was just going to be in whatever I could get in that last semester. Mm -hmm. So, you know, end of November isn't really a great time to find out about that because I was going to fly home in like two or three weeks for the holidays. Uh, But thankfully, I and this is I talked about this in the Dear Grad Student episode, but this is why networking is so important. I had met a professor a couple weeks prior at a event that my department hosted, and she talked about how she had basically started a small company after she got her Ph.D. And we talked afterwards because she mentioned she worked for or she interned at Corning for a little bit. I interned at Corning and that's where I met John. So we talked about that. And then she went to Alfred for her undergrad, which was another small school similar to Coe that I looked at for potentially doing my PhD at. So we had a lot in common. So I talked to her afterwards and she told me that she had a lot of funding available if I ever needed an internship or something like that. So when I found out I didn't have funding anymore. So you had like
0: options now for where to go.
1: Well, basically I I needed someone to take me immediately for my last semester. Uh, Mm -hmm. That was the biggest concern because if I didn't have money, I was going to probably have to take out a loan to pay for my last semester of my one credit, like for one more credit. And then I wouldn't have gotten paid like any money to live there. Uh, So I basically emailed her and was like, I find myself in a position without funding and I really enjoyed your talk and talking with you. And you told me that you had some opportunities for an internship or to work with you. And here's my resume. <laughs> and yeah. I think she emailed me back like a, like the next week and told me to just come into her office. She had my resume printed out. Basically all she said was we have a lot of the same characterization background. And then we just talked about Star Trek for a while and then she asked me what I needed from her and I said I would really like it if I could get my like my last class intuition covered and then have some sort of a stipend just for one semester yeah. and then because I just was going to graduate, confirm real
0: quick so this internship was still like within physics was it continuing your existing research or would you be working on her projects
1: no it was so it was kind of in a it was still at Arizona State She Mm -hmm. was working as a professor, but kind of running this small business out of a lab there. And so it, I don't remember if she, I think she was still in the material science department. She might've had like a joint um, assignment between material science and something else, Mm -hmm. but she had graduated from from ASU with a PhD in material science as well. So she had just kind of stayed there and was just kind of starting her professorship journey. Gotcha.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, wow, what a selection. So then, after this, you decided to go with that person who you were hoping to join, anyways, over at Penn State. Mm-hmm. Is that
1: correct? Yep. So we had already been talking at this point, because um, I mean I emailed him right away in like September once I found out that I was probably going to leave with the masters. At that point, it was mostly just, can I um, transfer right away? if he had money for me, he didn't. So I was like, okay, I guess I'll just get the masters here. And then if he still doesn't have money for me for a while, I'll just get a job somewhere because I kind of decided at that point that what I wanted to do was go back to do research that I had done in undergrad. Like I wanted to go back and study the same material and that's mm-hmm. what this person was doing and that if I had a choice, I would want to go work for him. Yeah. So Yeah. So that was happening in September. The GR, the NSF GRFP grant that I was writing was going to be on for a project to work with him. Um, uh, Those you don't hear about until the spring, like usually in March or April. So I either at that point, since he didn't have anything for me right away, I was going to have to wait until I heard about that anyway. So I decided to, yeah, just stay for the masters, and then I had to switch into the new lab uh, just to be able to get paid and to have my tuition covered. So, from the for the timeline, from like
0: when you, um, so you did your master, you completed your master's, switched into the new lab, and then applied to this whole new program all over again. Um, what was that like, just month by month? Like, did you did you apply with like the same cycle of people? Was anything able to like kind of
1: like did you have to take classes a second time? So are you talking about for my, the PhD part two, I call that PhD two electric boogaloo
0: or for <laughs> having to
1: switch the labs for the masters? Um,
0: The PhD part two. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yep. So when did I apply to that? I feel like I applied immediately in the fall as like, at, so, the fall of 2018 when i found out that i was going to get my masters and leave i think that's when i reapplied to penn state um, cuz usually their deadline is sometime in that in the winter thankfully i had actually already applied i applied to them my first round of applications so they already had all of my info in the system so i just kind of added a couple things so they made it really really easy okay. um, yeah and then I graduated with my master's from ASU in May of 2019. And then around a couple months later, I think it was probably July or August was when John told me that he was gonna get a grant that he thought I'd be interested in. So he sent me the info and I looked at it and I said, that sounds great. He originally told me that it was going to start in January of 2020. And then like three weeks before the semester was supposed to start, he emailed me and was like, so for sure the NSF gave us the grant, but they put it to start in August. Like, can you start this semester? And I was like, no, (laughs) no, I cannot move across the country in three weeks or, and at that point I had already kind of lined up some temp work for me to do for those six months that I wasn't going to have anything. So I was like, I don't think I can move that fast or find housing my family is going on vacation during that time and I already have work lined up and I don't want to bail on them so he was like yeah that's totally fine I just kind of had to ask because they changed the start just date in of case, the grant yeah. yeah um and I'm like cool so then I, ended I mean up, if it yeah. wasn't
0: fine that would have been a red flag like for the record
1: <laughs> yeah I exactly <laughs> and I mean I knew that he was just asking because he has to uh because yeah, the grant sure. says it starts in August, which is real awkward, because I always have to write in my reports that I didn't start. Like, there was a whole semester of work that didn't get done because no one could work on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I at that point I I knew I wanted to work with him because I had already had a professional relationship with him, and I knew that he was going to be a really uh, good advisor for someone who actually wants you to like succeed and we got along really well just personally and it seemed like he really cared about people's mental and physical well-being so yeah
0: in terms been a of fit. kind of um like figuring out like what advisor was the best fit for you um you had done some undergrad research so you understood like you know advisor is important you want to pick someone who's good so you had like this advice in mind but um what were the things that really like kind of stood out to you from the advisor that you have now who is mm-hmm. supportive versus the advisor you had for your um, like masters who was not, even though you were like trying to find an advisor who would fit you know, the right mm-hmm. style.
1: I think the just the first thing I wanna note is that the, the way the grad school selection process happens and the way a lot of times you have to find advisors, even if you go in knowing what you should ask, it's really hard to actually f- figure out how someone is like to work with. If you only, their, your only interaction is having a 20 to 30 minute meeting, where usually yeah. Did they're you trying guys to, have rotations to research. Or was that not a thing in your program? No, so, oh, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, there was some money set aside at ASU for students who could TA a semester or two, and then use that time to kind of do a rotation, but that was only if they didn't come in knowing they had support from a professor. The, I think a lot of, in a lot of places, the default is they want you to be hooked up with a professor because then your funding is taken care of, because uh, at least is my understanding in material science and physics. So even somewhere like Penn State, they won't even formally admit you until you have an advisor who is going to take you on. So that really, yeah, doesn't give wow. you any opportunity to shop around and actually work with someone and see how you would get along. So a lot of times you are trying to make this decision about someone's mentoring style in 20 to 30 minutes from like a meeting. So yeah, I just Different programs I think- <laughs> have such a
0: huge range of how to do this. Like yeah, having to do it from a third 20-30 meeting is is so little, but having to do it before you even you know, meet them and have a couple conversations, hopefully, is also hard. But um, even in rotations, like my program had like a couple weeks you'd spend in their lab. Mm -hmm. Even from that, it was really difficult. We had people who switched, like almost every single year, there were one or two people who had to switch labs. And Mm -hmm.
1: um, yeah. Yeah, I think that my, the point from that is, I think a lot of times, one, it doesn't work out a lot of times. And it's a lot more common than people would like to tell you it is because a lot of times I don't think people like to disclose it because it could n- cast negative light on that person, like the PI, the student, and the department. Yeah. Um, Even the though times that a- it doesn't happen,
0: it causes mm-hmm. a lot of issues, right? Because there's tons of people who stay in like lab situations that are like not conducive for yep. their research and not helpful for their scientific development or for you know getting the skills that they want um, or you know their mental health. Mm -hmm. um these are all like things that get affected if you decide to just stay in a lab that is not the right fit um Mm -hmm. but yeah there's just so many barriers to to kind of getting out of there and like you said yeah like your professor said you know you have to do so much of the work over again um and uh are you able to like kind of not take classes during
1: (laughs) phd2 no i took classes again (laughs) oh my gosh Uh, so the i think the big difference this time around was um when I was talking with John about what my class schedule was gonna look like, he did suggest, so here, I think only like, I don't remember how many credits it is, but I think it's six classes, Like I think six full classes you have to take. So he suggested that I front load them and take three a semester, and then I'd be done in my first year. And I was like, that's great but I'm probably not going to be getting much done in the lab. And he said, that's fine, focus on your classes first. Uh, Whereas before my problem was one, I didn't really realize how bad the load was gonna be. And then when it was really bad, I didn't, at that point, I think I was too far in that I didn't wanna actually advocate for myself slash I didn't know how to advocate for myself and be like, hey, this is too much. I think I really only need to be taking the two core classes. Um, But then the other difference is that John was like, yeah, that sounds fine. Like, thanks for letting me know type of thing. Um, And then COVID happened two months in, so it didn't really (laughs) matter anyway.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Ah, uh, definitely uh, changed everything for the pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess like kind of thinking about like Penn State and um, making these huge trans- transitions, what would you say are like the three things that helped you the most in navigating like such a like unconventional choice and like kind of doing mm-hmm. all these different things that were like temp work and like trying to make things fit and you know, you had two people for your master's and then you switched into your PhD. This is a lot of changes to go through. How did you, like what are three things that really helped you get through this?
1: Mm-hmm. So first thing probably was my support network that I had. Even though I didn't find that support network in my lab group, I really valued the connections that I had made beforehand from like that friend who I called on my on the phone and talked with him about emailing John. I also had a really good friend that was with me at Co. and undergrad there already. So she really, for our first years together, we would sit by the pool Uh, with our legs in the water and basically just be like hmm are we really sure that we want to do this and (laughs) kind of commiserate together and so we really spend a lot of time together and I definitely don't think I would have been able to eventually like make it out and thrive and stuff like that without having her support for me there I think another thing is Just the fact that I had networked with so many other people before this that I had options to be able to go do something after this and not, like, I was able to line something up pretty quickly. And so just kind of keeping in mind that no matter what, uh, in every situation you're in, try and meet and talk to different people because I don't know if it would have been as easy for me to join John's group if I hadn't already met him and kind of like stuck out in his mind. Um, But I think the big thing was I invited him to co, I think it was my senior year uh, to be our banquet speaker. And so I picked him up from the airport and kind of played host for him and got him to talk with a lot of the other students. And I also think that helped on his side when he needed to start a lab because he brought some people with him to Penn State and picked up like one or two people that were already there. But then, when he started to look for students uh, to join the lab, one of the first places he looked was Co. And now there's tons of Co students in his group. We call it Co East. And then, when I ended up starting there, I already had a bunch of people that I knew in the lab besides already knowing him. And that made my transition so much easier. Um, Also, I just really like this area. I think it's the perfect blend of the Midwest and then kind of the the small, the big hills or the small mountains of Arizona. Um, yeah,
0: it's really important to have like a location that mm-hmm. like speaks to you. Um, did you have a chance to like visit your visit that area before kind of deciding to do your second PhD there?
1: So or, I, guess, I do your PhD yeah, Sorry. Mm-hmm. I decided before I went there, but I was able to go out for a couple days before I started. John actually wanted me to come out because we were getting a new piece of equipment that he thought might be pertinent to my research that was getting installed. So he like paid for me to come out and get a, like he got me a flight in a hotel room to come out and just learn how to use this equipment from the people that were installing it. So that was really nice because then at least I did have a sense of the area and I was able to meet with some people before I started, but that happened after I had already decided I was going to go there. I wouldn't necessarily advise you anyone to do that unless you have a prior relationship with the person you're going to go work for. At this point, I just kind of, I had made my mind up that it was John or bust. So, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend that for most people unless they're in the same situation that I am or I was in. Yeah.
0: But it's, it's healthy to understand kind of like where your boundary is with that. Like, Mm -hmm. especially instead of feeling like you're cornered into like, I have to make this work as opposed to like, realizing that you can choose other paths in life like there are things outside of the world other than you know staying Mm -hmm. in a lab that's not the right fit or like forcing yourself to do a career if you don't really want to do it versus like you know if you if you do want to do it like finding the way to do it in a way that like best suits your needs and it sounds like you're able to do that
1: yeah I was definitely a lot of mentally on like letting myself realize that I because I, I think I'd wrapped up a lot of my self worth in the idea of being a PhD student and like getting a PhD. And for better or worse, this is what made me realize that it doesn't matter if I have a PhD or not, I have so many other interests and things that I would be okay doing. And so when I was waiting to hear back from john, I also applied to a couple of other jobs that I was I would have been totally fine getting to, and to work at in the meantime. But John yeah. was the one who got back to me first, so I was like, "All right, that decision's been made.
0: <laughs> yeah, one of the the green flags I'm hearing here is how he like consistently is like you know fast at emails, able to respond, like he spent the money to have you come out there. Um, mm-hmm. that is like really, really big. Most programs, like the program will occasionally like fly like interviewees out there, but for mm-hmm. like a person to do that is a little rarer um that's like more reserved for like postdoc positions and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. even then, like there are some labs that like make people just fly out on their own dime, which is yeah. so bizarre <laughs> when you consider the way that literally every other sector handles that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would you say are kind of like the the skills that were able to be like transferred between um, all these different experiences? Because it's not like you had to like give up anything, right? Like these are all things that you continued to learn and grow on.
1: Mm-hmm. Are you thinking from like a uh, being a PhD student perspective, or just kind of more general,
0: like uh, about many of the
1: jobs I might have done instead, something like that?
0: Yeah, I guess um, speaking from like the perspective of your PhD and your mm-hmm. math and choosing to get a master's and then moving into like starting another PhD, um, what sort of things like were able to be transferred over?
1: Mm-hmm. Luckily enough, I had done my undergrad research in the same material area that I'm now working in, which was part of what fueled me to decide to go work with John, because I, I fell in love with this material, <clears throat> I study glass. I don't think I mentioned that yet, uh, but- <laughs> No,
0: <laughs> that's uh, helpful to know.
1: hmm so I studied glass in undergrad and I fell in love with it. And when I applied to grad school the first time, I really wanted to go into a glass program, but the only place That was accepting students for uh, like the only person that had funding for it was at a school that I, again, didn't vibe with. And I knew for sure that I did not vibe with the school before I went there. Uh, So for me, I was really fortunate that it was a lot of the skills I had already learned and I just had to kind of refresh myself. Obviously, there's a lot of new things that I'm doing. uh, John has me getting into coding a little bit more. I am an experimentalist at heart. So he has been very patient with me as I struggle to learn how to do basic things.
0: We all start somewhere.
1: <laughs> yeah. But that's been been really nice, uh, especially because it kind of having the sense of familiarity, I think was another thing that made the transition so easy. But even if you weren't... If you didn't have that background that you were going back into, a lot of the basic skills that you learn just from research are things that you're always going to need to know. So that's like designing posters and presentations. One of the things that the group at ASU was really, really good at was posters. And so I am thankful that I have all of that really great experience about how to design posters. And I learned great things about writing papers and designing figures and things like that that I bring now to my group. Uh, I actually just gave a presentation for the Materials Research Society at Penn State yesterday about how to use Illustrator to make figures and how to some best practices for making figures, which a lot of which I got inspiration from from someone who was at ASU and a professor that really emphasized that to his students. And just generally being able to go into a lab and be creative and problem solve, I think those are things you're going to use no matter what area of research you're in. Yeah,
0: certainly. It sounds like also um, kind of like having this support system and like knowing so many things about your second, like um, start to your second PhD is, Mm. was really helpful to kind of like know this advisor, know that you got along really well, know the research. um, And uh, yeah, just kind of having a better sense of like the working style and the stuff you'd be working Mm. on.
1: Yeah, Yeah, it, it all made everything a lot easier. Also Going into, I knew going into classes and having to do them again was going to kind of suck, but some of the classes were things that I had already done at ASU, but were, now that I had more time, I felt like I could do a lot better job because now I had the background, but also I had more time to invest, and frankly, the professors at Penn State were better for the most part than the ones I had at ASU. I just felt that at least they really valued teaching the graduate students, which is is not just an ASU problem. I feel like a lot of schools, they look at you when you get to grad school and they're like, all right, you just do it all yourself. And they don't actually care about making sure that you understand the material. Um, So that was, it was kind of a bummer that I had to do classes again, but at least I got them all out right away. Uh, I did have to take uh, quals or they call it candidacy here again, but it went a lot better this time. (laughs)
0: Nice Well congratulations on on passing that and doing mm-hmm. all of this in the midst of the pandemic, which is still continuing. Um, yeah, just to kind of like give uh, some advice to people who might be in your position or in similar positions. Um, if you could like tell your younger self something as like you were beginning to have these kinds of thoughts and um, debating whether like what sort of your next step should be, what would you tell yourself?
1: I would definitely tell myself, that you need to advocate more for yourself. If you're struggling, you you need to tell people. And part of it is being able to have a comfortable relationship with your advisor to be able to tell them. Um, But the first step is actually being able to do that. Whether or not they're receptive is the thing that you can't control. Uh, But I don't even think I got to that point because I just assumed that he wouldn't be receptive from what I saw. So I'm not entirely sure how he would have responded. So that's the first thing I would say is try and learn how to advocate, but also that just because you're in a PhD program um, and you think you need a PhD and you want one, there's so many other things you can do and that you shouldn't kind of make that your entire personality. I (laughs) really, I like dropped all my hobbies when I was at ASU because I was just working so much all the time I was stressed out and burned out and honestly it didn't help with my research at all so now that I'm here I have strict work-life balance things that I do I have found things that like physical activities that I enjoy to do I'm taking better care of my health mentally and physically so and I've kind of detached my worth from my PhD and like how much I'm getting done Because I think at ASU, I definitely felt like I wasn't performing well as a PhD student. So I wasn't like being, it basically negatively impacted my whole self-image of myself. So no matter, and this is kind of not PhD student specific, but don't attach your identity to what your job is. (laughs)
0: Yeah, (laughs) it's it's hard in a very... um... In a society that cares so much about work and money and things like that, which Mm -hmm. is why it's so important to like remind yourself of like the other things and like actively remind yourself, not not just be like, oh yeah, I know it, but like really, you know, Mm -hmm. don't give up your hobbies and like really try and make time for them. And um, recently I like went to this uh, talk about burnout. One of the things she mentioned was um, a break less than 15 minutes is not enough of a break because your brain is still just winding down from whatever Mm -hmm. you did. So Mm -hmm. when she like gives people breaks um, and she's like working with people to workshop their like schedules and stuff, she like will do a 45 minutes of work or like 15 minutes of work and then followed by a 15 minute break, like minimum. So trying to like really force yourself to Mm -hmm. make sure you take those hobbies, take those breaks, because otherwise it's easy to just sort of lose yourself in the work and just how much there is to do. And there's there's always more to do. We're always behind.
1: Yeah, always behind. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i'm feeling that pretty hard this week but i'm I, i'm like working a lot on things right now and i'm already thinking in my head i'm like okay when can i fit in extra days to take off to compensate for the extra times that i'm working now
0: yeah oh my gosh that's really good that's really good to hear mm-hmm. um i've been doing the same thing working really hard this week so the week after next week when things hopefully wind down um i've already like scheduled a bunch of time that I'm like, all right, I I've worked extra. I'm gonna take this time to like just go sit in the park, like read a book, mm-hmm. photosynthesize. Like, yeah.
1: Yeah. I think hopefully. that same week is the week for me that will hopefully calm down. Oh, uh, excellent.
0: We'll have we'll have hopefully. some more energies then. <laughs> yeah, hopefully.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, well before we finish up, is there
0: anything else that you'd like to mention or talk about?
1: I think I just want to quick plug the I did another podcast with that talked about this. And if you have, if anyone who's listening to this wants to also kind of hear more about my journey and things like that, you can listen to the Dear Grad Student podcast that uh, Lana Gloger hosts. I don't remember what episode it is, um, but also just listen to that podcast in general because it's really good. (laughs) And also if anyone wants to chat about what they're going through or anything, I also wrote a magazine uh, article with actual kind of, I break down some potential red flags and departments that at least kind of from a material science or physics standpoint, that may be something you want to look out for if you notice a lot of them. Um, but you can also reach me on Twitter or anything like that. If you are going through something and you want someone to talk to, Uh, because that's how I, I found out that being able to leave or switch advisors or something like that was something that I could do from Twitter, I'm kind of trying to pay that back by sharing my own story and receiving stories from other people as well. Yeah, thanks for um, making yourself
0: like available to other people as a resource and for creating this article about like red flags to look for, I think that's like a very concrete, like, all right, I can Mm -hmm. look at this and like tick off what they do have or they don't have and see like, maybe if I can, if people can pick up things earlier, just uh, maybe like offer other alternatives and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, thank you so much for being on this pod, on this pod slash videocast. We really appreciate having you here. Um, This has been Grad Chat by PhD Balance. Our episodes are now posted simultaneously on our podcast and on our YouTube channel every second Saturday. You can connect with PhD Balance on our website at phdbalance.com and on social media and Twitter. Instagram at PhD underscore. So until next time, take care of yourself.